Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, we're in the third chapter in our <clears throat> series through Jonah. Uh, but before we go to the Lord, hear from the Lord in his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Join your hearts to mine as we ask his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come again before you. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would let the meditations of our hearts indeed be pleasing in your sight. Father, we confess that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. We ask, Father, give us a great appetite for this, your word. That it may nourish our souls this morning in ways of eternal life. And all, Lord, to your glory. Be with us, we pray, Lord. Give us focus and attention to rest our uh, hearts and our minds to hear you speaking to us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah chapter 3. Be reading the entire chapter. Please do give your attention to the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word had reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from the anger, from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So for the reading of God's word, may he indeed add his blessing to it. As we continue this morning with our look through the book of Jonah, uh, we have seen... Uh, what have we seen so far? We've seen in chapter 1, Jonah the rebel prophet, right? The rebel prophet. We saw the will of this prophet versus the word of the Lord. And then we saw the repentant prophet in chapter 2 and his declaration that salvation belongs to the Lord. And he is ejected from that great fish onto dry land. This morning, we'll be focusing on the responses in this text the responses that we see. 
and you have an outline in the back of your bulletin uh, that will uh, give you these responses as we work through them. Uh, we've seen in chapter 1 and 2 that most of the characters that we encountered, most of the characters that we encountered respond in ways that we wouldn't expect. And just by way of reminder, there are uh, monitors in the back and downstairs uh, for children that need to uh, change your children um, and, and deal with their um, discipline. Um, God's prophet Jonah, right? Remember, God's prophet Jonah, he's told to do one thing. Yet what does he do? He flees in rebellion. He flees in rebellion as far as he, way, as far as, as he can away from where God had told him to go. Right? We see the pagans' response. Right? What is their response? They experience the Lord's prophet. Right? They hear him. They hear what Jonah is saying. And their response is what? To fear the Lord. Right? They cry out to Yahweh. Now offer vows to him and make sacrifices to him. All of this, in a way, is very backwards from what we would think should be happening. And as we continue in chapter 3, we notice, even more so, this is emphatic here, this is important that we understand this, it's the importance of the response to God's word, right? The, the importance, the significance, the imperative of the response to God's message. Before that, though, let's look at the New Testament. Let's reflect for a moment on what we find there. Um, at the beginning of the New Testament, you'll recall, and that's why we read our New Testament verse that we did from Matthew, uh, we, we see John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist and his message is to ever uh, is to is very brief, very much like Jonah's message, right? And what is that message? He says, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." The kingdom of God is at hand, and from the mouth of Jesus, we see as we move forward in the New Testament, it's that same message preached to Israel. Same message. The reaction to that message is not uh, what one would have expected as the Messiah comes to the nation. It's not what we expected. What was that response? The majority of the people refused the message of Christ as Messiah. They refused that message. And they were angered to the point of violence against him for that message. But sinners, sinners and Gentiles, and tax collectors, they believe and were welcomed into the kingdom of God. There were two responses to the message of the ultimate prophet, Christ, right? The ultimate prophet comes and he proclaims a message and there are two responses that we get from them. One is that people show faith, right? They show faith and repentance of their evil ways. There's acknowledgement of their sinfulness before their maker. And the other response is what? It's that they were, their, their hearts were hardened. They're thinking that God couldn't possibly judge them. Right? They're Israel after all. God would not judge us. God's own people. And there are two outcomes that resulted from these responses. Right? Sinners and tax collectors and Gentiles, they have the gates of heaven opened up to them. Why? Despite all of their flaws and all of their dirtiness. In the nation of Israel, what happens to them? They have the gates of the kingdom closed to them. And we know how the New Testament ends. Right? It ends with the prediction of the end coming upon the people of Israel. Why? Because they did not heed the voice of Christ. And there is either unbelief, where a person refuses to repent and hardens their heart, or there is belief that receives the prophet and did what is necessary in response. 
Long before, though, long before these, these, these messages come in the New Testament, long before John the Baptist, long before Christ, 800 years before, to be specific, God sent a similar message. John the Baptist's message was new. His, the Baptist's message was new in that the kingdom of God had finally come. But his message, message was not new in another sense. And that is that God had always called his people to repent. That's the message of the prophets all through the Old Testament. Jonah was sent away from Israel. You'll recall why. Because they had heard the message of the prophets and they don't care. They will not respond to that message. So Jonah now carries that message of repentance to Israel's enemies up the north, up uh, towards the north, to Assyria, to Nineveh. And what will they do? How will they respond when they hear the same message? They're a sinful people. They have no right to God's kingdom. As we look at these things, the first point that we see from this text is the renewed Jonah. Jonah 2.0, if you will. Jonah recommissioned here in chapter 3. And in verses 1 to 4, we see the response of the recommissioned prophet. The response of the recommissioned prophet. Uh, Jonah is given a second opportunity at these things. And in verses 1 and 2, we have a familiar scene. Right? It's the same as in chapter 1. Uh, uh, indeed, God gives the same exact three commands again. He says, get up, go to Nineveh, preach, call out what I say to them. It's the same three verbs. Again, listen to verses uh, 2 and 3. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Right, And so we see... Uh, similarities there between what he the first message to, to the second message in chapter three, but there are differences though, right? Notice in chapter one, it says uh, it refers to Jonah as the son of Amittai, right? In chapter three, it says Jonah, the word came to him a second time, right? And this draws attention uh, to the first time around that he didn't listen to the word of the Lord and how that all turned out. And now he's undergone this special providential preparation to execute the task that's been he's been called to by the Lord. And remember in Jonah's mind from last week, right? From last week we have that prayer psalm that he gives, um, indeed, from the belly of this great fish. And he'd resigned himself, right? He thought he was dead. In his mind he was. He'd resigned himself to the fact that he was done for. He calls out to God, and God provides this awesome fish to deliver him. The second time, the second difference we see um, here between the first time and the second time this word comes to Jonah. The first time it says, preach against Nineveh because their evil has come up before me. And then here in chapter 3, what do we see? It says, go, and when you get there, I'll tell you what to say. Right? And then the third difference that we see, the third difference between the first time and the second time that the Lord comes, uh, calls out to Jonah is Jonah's response. Right? Obviously, this is the most glaring. And we, 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 meant, we pointed out, and we see it here in chapter 3, uh, when we hear God's command in Scripture, and it says, get up, go, and preach, we expect that very thing to happen. He got up, he went, and he preached. That's the normal pattern. The repeating of what is commanded to make that point. In the first time, you'll recall, that is not what happened. He said, get up, go, and preach. And he got up and he went the other way as far as he could. He didn't obey. 
Second time, though, here in chapter 3, his response is immediate and it is complete. Jonah is changed somewhat. We'll see as we move forward that he's not completely changed, but he's changed from that first time. He now realizes that he needs to go. We see there the insanity of his sin, the dumbing and numbing effects of sin that it has. At least for now, it's been corrected for the moment. Last time, Jonah, he did not listen to the Lord. He rebelled against the word of the Lord. And it didn't go well. He's been down into the depths, remember, swallowed by this giant fish, this great fish. And he remained there encased for three days and three nights. And then finally, what happens? He's vomited out onto dry land. And he says, I will obey. God certainly could have allowed Jonah to go and to remain in the depths and to perish. But he saves him. Saves him. We must always remember, brothers and sisters, this mercy that God has towards us as well. We must never forget this mercy. We weren't entitled to be saved. We weren't entitled to be rescued by the Lord. His mercy to us is for his good pleasure. Right? Let us never forget the magnitude of that mercy of God and saving any one of us. Right? And indeed, truly should all, all of us. It is not something that we should be indifferent towards or give a, a, a ho-hum response to. The glory of the mercy that you've been shown in Jesus Christ by the Lord. We see here that God is merciful to Jonah, but he still persists in accomplishing his will. Right? Even this rebelliousness, even this uh, fighting attitude that he shows will not thwart the will of God. God didn't give Jonah uh, a multiple choice of options, right? God is sovereign, and he will get his way. That's something that we learn from Jonah. He will accomplish his will. The first time we see Jonah followed his own will, and bad things happen. And in the end, he was still confronted with God's command to him. And then the second time here in chapter 3, Jonah follows God's will, and God accomplishes his plan. And it stands out in this book of Jonah. The prophet Jonah, God's prophet rebels and God orders things, right? From the storm to the fish, the pagans are converted. God's sovereignty is emphasized throughout. And we see in this do-over, the proper response from Jonah to the sovereign Lord. And what is that response? It is immediate and full obedience, right? Immediate and full obedience. And this, of course, should be our response as well. Right? It's much less painful for us not to rebel against the Lord. Right? I'm sure you all could testify to that reality. God's way is the best way. Right? It is our heart, heart's desire to know God's will, to know his desire, to know his heart. Remember in Ephesians, when we looked through that epistle, right? we learned from Paul, what does he say? That part of what it is to be a Christian, part of our Christian life is made up of uh, our growth and our sanctification is finding out what pleases the Lord. Right? Ephesians 5.10. Finding out, discerning, learning what pleases the Lord. And that's a big part of what our life is. Our growing to understand and conform to God's command. Right? We love Him. We want to conform to His standard. Part of our maturing and our growth in our Christian life. And as a result, we always want to be sensitive right? in our own hearts and in our own lives. Is that true of you, brothers and sisters? Is this true of you? As you assess and you think of your own life and your own heart's desire, 
Are you opposing the Lord today? Are there pretended pockets of separation where you are rebellion, rebelling, willfully knowing, rebelling against His Word and His command on your life? There's things that we must take soberly and things that we, to be sure, learn uh, from the book of Jonah. You know, the, 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 uh, the call to you, uh, as it was from the message of Jonah, is to turn to him. Turn to the Lord in faith and repentance. He is altogether good and merciful and tender towards you. His promise is to forgive that rebellion, to grow you in holiness by his power. Right? That's his promise to you. Submit to him and he will grow you. We saw Jonah's renewed response to the command of the Lord. Now, what is the response to that message of judgment? Right? That's the second point we see in verses 5 to 9. The proper response to God's message of judgment. Right? Notice the brevity of the message uh, that we have to, the, to Nineveh. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Right? Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Right? It goes to this great city, a three days walk through it, the breadth of it, a city of wealth and a city of power. It is to them that this message comes. Forty days and you will be overthrown. That is a bad forecast for Nineveh. That is a bad news to them. They will be overthrown. That language of being overthrown is not good language. It's the same word that we see used for Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment upon them. Described as being overthrown. It's also used metaphorically of other cities. It is not good. Uh, Deuteronomy 29:23, for instance, in describing God's judgment, it says, The whole land is burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown, nothing grown, where no plant can sprout or overthrow, uh, I'm sorry, and overthrow, like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. Right, or we can look at Isaiah 13, where it says, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans, will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. And then this message comes to Nineveh. Forty days, and you'll be overthrown. What is Nineveh to do? What are they, how are they to respond Jonah doesn't present them with options or choices. He doesn't say, unless you do these things, you'll be destroyed. It's not what he says. He's not privy to that information. He simply says, 40 days, and you're done for. Now, if Nineveh were fatalists, right, they would say, what can we do? We're done for. And they would have done nothing. God's word comes to them that they will be destroyed. What should be their response? We see in verses 5 to 9, when God's word of judgment come, the only thing that can do, they, man can do is to turn from his evil way and plead for mercy from God. To turn and plead with the Lord. And look again at the pattern that we see here in these verses 5 to 9. Right? The people repent with prayer and fasting, then the king repents, and then the king orders all the people to repent and fast. Right? There's an order, there's a construction uh, of the telling of this event that is interesting, right? It is interesting. The way that it's written um, is to highlight the immediacy of the people's reaction. Right? That's what it's meant to do. Jonah preaches and the people repent. 
There are certain ways that the Hebrew would write or tell a story of what happened that would act as Hebrew highlighting. Right? We've mentioned this before, some of the ways, some of the literary constructs that highlight, emphasize, focus certain things. And we see that here today. One of the ways that we see is in this chapter where the event is given in this particular order for the uh, purpose of focus and emphasis. Right? And so the first thing that is, that is emphasized here is the swift response to this message. Right? We're told that first, the response to the message. And then we're told of the means of the people's repentance. Right? And that is that that word comes to the king first, which is the normal way. Right? The message goes to the top and comes down. It goes to the king. And then the message goes to all the people, and they all repent. Right? And this tells us something very instructive. It tells us that that obedience, that response is to be swift, is immediate, is deliberate to God's word. And you new parents should take note of this very thing. And you older parents realize that this is true in regard to your covenant children. We must demand this of our children. And that it's especially imperative from age zero to toddler. It is imperative. right? That's the time for this training. They must obey. And that training begins from when they are brand new and brought home from the hospital. right? They must obey their parents. There is a struggle of, will, of wills going on from that very young age. And God commands that they learn obedience. So you moms and dads, you are analogs to your children of the Lord right? in a very real way. You must demand obedience from them. Not because you're harsh, not because you're mean, not because you want to be a dictator. Because God's word tells us this is so. Right? God's word is not silent on this very thing. It is in fact replete with directions regarding the discipline, the training of our children. It's important, right? One example, you're all probably familiar with this from Proverbs 13. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That is strong language. It is indeed shocking language to the secular world, but it is language that is there given to us because he loves us and he loves our children. God is not neutral on these things. There are other reasons why children must obey their parents, right? Uh, decorum, politeness, for their safety, right? If your child is uh, dithering out into the road and you call to them, they need to immediately respond, right? For their safety. But more importantly, and this is very important, indeed it is most important, they must obey because they're being trained to obey the Lord, Right? They're being trained to obey God. And that is a matter of life and death. It is a big deal, parents. It is a big deal. Right? What do we call delayed obedience? Disobedience, right? What do we call uh, debated obedience? Disobedience, right? What do we call denied obedience? Disobedience, right? Obedience must not be delayed, debated, or denied. And it is true for all of us, brothers and sisters, before our God, who calls on us to do certain things and to not do certain things. Right? But the truth is, we often do this. Do we not? We're often guilty of this very thing. We hear the word of the Lord, and we think, well, I know that uh, it sounds right, and someday I'll get around to doing that. 
get around to taking it seriously, making amends, uh, purging the sin in my life. Right? At some point, I'll get around to, uh, to killing the pet sin or the pet idol in my life that I hold so dear. I'll do that when it's convenient for me. Right? We do this kind of thing all the time. That's the very thing that Israel had been doing for years. And the author is trying to tell them that is a bad response. That is not the way to respond to the word of the Lord. They need to hear and they need to obey. So we see the swift response that Nineveh gives to the word that Jonah brings. The swift response is emphasized first. And then the second thing that we see uh, is that there was a sandwiching effect here in this section that highlights something else. Again, the structure, the construct of the word, this literary device of sandwiching. Right? Notice again, the people's repentance and the king's repentance and then the command for the people to repent. Right? You see that? That's the, way, that's the flow of the text. Right? People, king, and people. Right? What's being emphasized there? Right? Between the statements about the people is the king. The king is sandwiched in between. That's the focal point. That's the emphasis. It's to emphasize the king's repentance. He turns from his sins. Now, why do you think that that would be important to emphasize and to highlight? Why would that be the case that this God-inspired word is given in this way? Who was the original audience of the book of Jonah? It's Israel. It's Israel. Israel who was rebelling against God. And the one person who had responsibility to repent first in Israel was whom? It was the king. It was the king the son of David. The king's repentance would lead to the total repentance of the nation, right? If you've read the historical books, um, maybe recently, you see this, right? Such and such a king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Such and such continued in the sins of his father. And so goes the nation. The king's repentance leads to the repentance of the nation. And the sandwich pattern that we see here is for emphasis, to focus us, on the king and how important what the king does is. When Israel hears this later and they read it, they should say, not only should our response be immediate, but it's critical that our king turn from his wicked ways. And this is seen throughout the history of Israel. Right? Again, we see it over and over again. The, sea, the king sets the tone for the nation. Right? Again, notice the king of Nineveh. What happens? He hears the message. He is so moved by the message. What does he do? He gets up, he takes off his royal robes, and he covers himself in humility, in ashes, in sackcloth, completely humbling himself, completely debasing himself. Why? Because he believed what Jonah said. Overthrow is coming. He believed what Jonah said, and he calls upon the people of Nineveh, who responded the same way. Right? The totality of the city, big and small, from the greatest to the least. The people are to repent of their evil ways. Evil. Right? If you remember from chapter 1, that which came up before the Lord, their evil had come up before Him. And that evil that caused God to say, I'm going to destroy them. And now the king says, Stop. Turn from your evil. Turn from that same evil. Cry out that God may have mercy on us. And verse 5 tells us they all respond. The people of Nineveh are 
a great contrast. They're the great contrast or foil in this text. They are the great problem for Jonah. Right? He didn't want to go to them. And a problem for Israel. Right? They are a living rebuke to God's people, Israel. And as we read the text, we should see God's prophet didn't obey him. And God's prophet is there because Israel wouldn't obey God. Now he goes to this pagan nation that he tried his hardest not to go to. He goes there with a pagan king and he commands them to repent. And they do it. They repent. They believe more in God's mercy than his own prophet, than, than God's own prophet. And that's staggering. It should be staggering to us. Jonah should feel rebuked. And all of Israel should be humiliated by the lengths that these pagans are willing to go that God might have mercy on them. Nineveh is doing what God's prophet had been begging Israel to do for years, but they would not do it. They would not listen to the prophets. Humble yourselves and admit your sins. Turn to God. They would not hear him. Nineveh, though, this pagan city, Nineveh hears, they turn, and they obey totally and completely. An incredible thing. The final point that we see here is in verse 10, right? Verse 10, and that point is this, the sovereign Lord's merciful response to the sinner's repentance, right? You see that in your outline. The Lord's merciful response to their repentance is what? Verse 10, when he saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented, right? He relented. Notice it says God saw what they did, right? They had faith, the kind of faith that could be seen in what they did, right? In their actions, not just empty action, not just empty faith. They knew they deserved destruction. They knew they were guilty. They knew it and they owned up to it and they turned from it. They said, we're putting those, putting those evil ways behind us. We're turning to God that he might forgive us. Again, we today often forget this, or we don't act like it is true. Without this kind of repentance, no man will see God. This is the kind of repentance that is required of us. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We very often downplay this need for repentance and the need for continual reconciliation to God. Be reconciled, be reconciled, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's what it says. Be reconciled to God. Faith and repentance are a pair. They go together. If you have faith in the true and living God, you will repent. Right? They go together. Faith and repentance. Uh, you, you can't but throw yourself on his mercy in repentance as you are forgiven and the Lord gives you faith. True faith, of course, is never without repentance. Always go together. Faith without repentance is what so many, uh, many have called, and you may have heard this phrase, Easy believism. Right? Have you heard that phrase? Easy believism. It's faith without repentance. Right? You just believe some facts about Jesus, say a simple prayer, but not really change anything in your life. That is exactly what Israel was back home saying. And yet judgment is coming. And they wouldn't repent. Nineveh knew there was more needed and had to turn from their wicked ways uh, that were evil and offensive to God. They had to turn from that. 
to show that they truly believed that judgment was coming. And note well the phrasing in verse 10, right? Look at verse 10 again. Speaking of God, it says, when he saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God relented, right? The original says God relented of the evil that he was going to do to them, right? And some of the English versions, the older English versions, actually translate it that way. God relented of the evil. Ra'ah is the, the word in Hebrew. And so when we see in verse 10, uh, he saw what they did and how they turned from their ra'ah, their evil, God relented of the ra'ah that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it, right? It's the same word in both places. You see, the evil had come up before God's face, and that is exactly what they had uh, earned and what he was going to give them in return for their evil. Disaster, calamity. He was going to repay them with the evil that he, they had given him. He was going to send back upon them the judgment that they earned for themselves with their own deeds. Says, but God turned from that evil, from that calamity, from that distress, and he relented. Jonah has gone to God's people, and he's gone to the pagans. One obeys, and the other does not. One king is righteous, and the other is not. And we learn from this pagan nation exactly what God requires of his people. We see here Gentiles, as we saw mentioned at the beginning of this message. Gentiles entering into God's favor, while his own people are being removed from his favor. In God's word, it's not only once in Jonah that we see this and never again. You should be making connections uh, perhaps in your mind, right? The text is foreshadowing, right? This text in Jonah is a foreshadowing of what we get in the New Testament. God sets up for us exactly what's going to happen when the New Testament begins at the proclamation of that kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. Christ comes as the final prophet to Israel. And he proclaims the same message that every other prophet did. Turn from your wicked ways and do what God has really commanded. Stop with all the sacrifices and the religious works and obey me. Do what I say. Follow me. And you will be spared. That's the message that comes. And how did God's people respond to that message? How did they respond? Even to the end, they are outraged and they want to put their hands on Jesus and they want to kill him. And the sad reality is that Israel in Jonah's time, who refused to listen to God, and therefore God goes outside of Israel, it is a picture of Israel in Jesus' time, who reject God's message and God's Son. And so it goes out to all the nations, out to the Gentiles. God says, the kingdom I gave you, I'm taking it. I'm taking it to someone else. And that's exactly what he does. That's exactly what we see. Who does he give it to? United States? To England? The book of Acts tells us very clearly, it goes to anyone who will believe in the Son. Right? And this is the promise through Abraham all along. Right? All the nations will be blessed through you. 
They go to every city with this message. First to the Jews, they reject the Messiah, then to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles flow in and become partakers of the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. They become like Nineveh. They're willing to say, I know that I'm wrong. I know that I need salvation. I don't want that king to judge me. And we need to see, right? Do you see, dear Christian, you were chosen because Israel would not repent and would not follow after God in faith. They kept turning away and saying, God will never judge us because we have the temple. We can do whatever we want. These prophets are crazy. God's not going to harm us. We're his people. We're safe. But many today have the same arrogant and prideful attitude. We have Jesus. We don't need to listen. We don't need to live a life of holiness. We don't need to pursue uh, godliness in our lives. God's not going to judge us. And their cultural Christianity has made them self-deceived of their security. There's not security at all. There's that same easy believism. We are told in the New Testament to be careful. Continue in the faith. Keep living in a life that shows the truth of your faith. Indeed, may we continue to keep looking to him, turning from our wicked ways as the pattern and the course and the, uh, uh, the defining factor of our life. It's a life of repentance and faith. We not act as if we can do whatever we want and God won't judge. Right? The proper response to the message, the kingdom of God is at hand, is a humble submission and the turning to God from your sins, however grievous they may be. Even now, brothers and sisters, even now, and even from those dark ones, those dark sins, the ones that no one else knows about, and if they did, they would never think the same about you. Those dark ones and even the smaller ones, the ones that make you look good, the ones that look a lot like the Pharisees. Arrogance and pride, the desire to one-up everyone else, and smugness that tears down others to elevate the self. Your sin is worse than mine. But James tells us that you've broken his word, you've broken the whole thing. We are still yet sinners. They all violate God's law and they earn his displeasure. So God calls you even now to turn from your wicked ways and to believe on his son. And there is what waiting for you? Great grace and mercy if you come. What a glorious promise, brothers and sisters. God had already pronounced judgment on Nineveh. And in their proper response, he forgave them. How much more for you? who have the covenant promises, who have his son. We have even the Lord's Supper given to us as our gift and blessing for us to confirm that God desires to be merciful to you in Christ. And he shows you week by week this very thing, that this is the case. Turn from your sins, either for the first time or for the hundredth time. Be reconciled to God, brothers and sisters. Turn and know surely that mercy awaits you. Right? The God of grace waits for you to do so. The God who can forgive the pagans in Nineveh also will pardon and purify all who come to him in faith and repentance. 
He will come to you even now. Today with mercy and let you know that your sins are forgiven. It's a glorious promise. You are clean before him. It's his word to you. He will meet you. He will meet that true faith and repentance with what? With grace unto you in Christ. Who has borne your penalty so that you won't have to. What a marvelous Savior and Lord that we have. What a wonderful Savior. And what a blessing and a delight to be a Christian. Amen.